and welcome uh, to Free to Fail. I have a very special guest with me today and I'm very uh, thankful that you're here. Um, you can introduce yourself. Uh, um, my name is Bente Robertson and I run this gallery in Nudvik. Yeah. So I'm glad you're here because I wanted to talk to you about uh, art, you know, kind of mm -hmm. because, and obviously you, um, you know, you setting up your own business and kind of the, the steps that you did in that. I think it's important uh, for those who have an idea that they try to pursue that idea rather than just let it be yes. a thought, you know how to turn that thought into reality. I think that whole process isn't really discussed enough. And uh, that's why I wanted to talk to you and learn and, and share ideas and that kind of thing. Well, it's just, to, it's just to go for it. Yeah. So do you want to tell people then your story in regards to, uh, I suppose, when you first came up with the idea, what you were doing before um, you had your own gallery and then the steps you had to take and if you had any troubles and if you had, yeah, anything you want to mention about uh, getting to the point that you're at today. Well, I worked as an air hostess in Scandinavian Airlines for 24 years and I had to quit my job because my health couldn't manage all the hours, yeah. working hours. It's a hard job. And I didn't know what to do. Uh, I was thinking of taking a new education or trying something new. And I've been working for some years in the gallery here in Nadvik, which a friend of mine owned. Was that here in the same spot? No, no. it was in, in another location. Okay. And I really enjoyed it. I've been interested in art since I was, well, I saw my first picture when I was 16. I wondered who made that, and I've been thinking of that since then. Okay. What was it a picture of? Uh, it was a boy. I have that artist here now because I enjoy looking at his pictures. And it's been, it was a sailor, and I still remember that picture. I would really want that, <laughs> but it's my brother who owns it. So. Okay. Well, you can borrow it from time to time. or Yeah. yeah. It was my inspiration. And then I started working in yeah, vacations and when I had my leave off from um, flying, I worked and I learned how to do frames as well. Okay. And I really enjoyed it. I, I like the quietness. It's not that I've been, well, flying is very busy. You have three, six, nine 1,300 people during a day you have to say hello yeah. and goodbye to. And it's very interesting and it's fun. But yeah, at the time, be. it's nice to just have the quiet and the peace. I mean, I, I can relate to that because when I used to dance, I would travel and it would yeah be full of energy and excitement, but it was exhausting. It is. And I always I was always homesick. And not necessarily for like where I grew up in Cambridge, home for that place, but just to have a place of my own. And I think there's something to be said about like that stillness you talk about. When, when I dance or if I have to make up choreography on the spot and think of something, it kind of focuses you that all the other noise you have going on in your life, you're you're not part of that anymore. You're just thinking about the here and the now. Mm. And so many people struggle with stress and anxiety when they're thinking about, oh, you know, I've got this tomorrow or I've got this in a year or I've got to do this, etc. Whatever it may be, their minds are constantly thinking about the future mm. rather than enjoying the moment. So to hear you talk about when you work in the museum and whether you're framing, you know, pieces of art and that calmness and stillness, I think it's very therapeutic. It's it very is. kind of meditating. It know. is meditating. And and the beautiness, all the beauty in the art. And you can see um, you're producing something. You can see a picture and then you can see the final result when you have framed it. Yeah. It's... Um, and that will hang on someone's wall for many, many years. And, yeah. yeah. And art, you can feel that 
the artists have spent so many hours with just that picture. It's alive in sort of yeah. a way. Yeah. So it's um, it's quieting, it's comforting, and it's it's meditating. Just being in this. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, just looking around now at all the pictures you have up on the, your wall, I can. You know, when I look at one, it everything is kind of personal. So what you may see in a photo will be personal to you, how it makes you feel. And mm. when I look at that same painting... It's something different. It's something completely different. And that's what the talent is of art. I, I have a saying, and I've said this, I think, before, where art is a lie that helps you see the truth. So when I say art, I don't necessarily just mean painting. It could be sculpture, it could be music, it could be stage performing, anything. But when you go to a movie theater and you're seeing a thriller or a horror or a romance, you know, comedy, anything. It's not true what you're seeing. These actors, it's all pretend. It could be, mm. you know, embellished. It could be, yeah. But you take the truth from that. You know, you, you look inside yourself and you think, oh, I wish I had this romantic life or I wish I had this most action, you know, something. It puts you in a special motion. Yeah. And, and that's for not just films or music, but also pictures. When you look at it, you know, this is an artist's interpretation it's very kind of different in a way from photography and photography obviously is art as well, but you're there and you're thinking, you know, was there this many houses? Was the sunset that beautiful? You know, is this girl really sad? Whatever picture you're looking at, but it's, it's a message that the artist is trying to talk to you personally and mm. you alone. And everyone who sees that piece of art will see a different side of it. And I think that's, what's beautiful about art. And it's a shame that we, the world doesn't focus on art enough. I mean, you can't spell earth without art in the middle. No, yeah. <laughs> and there are many prof professions and jobs people can choose which are very noble and which we need, but they're all to like sustain life. So if you're a doctor or if you're a builder or if you're, you know, a politician or anything, you know, these are all very important. It's to sustain our life. But then there's this big question right at the top of the pyramid, which is what is life? What is it for? And art is part of that. It's for enjoyment. It's for it it's for your search of happiness. It's for your search of knowledge, whatever it may be. It's some it's a place where you can escape from reality, yes. sort of. It's a place where you can go and just dream the dream the artist has put in there or the sorrow or yeah. whatever you can see in that picture. And like you said earlier, use it as inspiration. Mm. Use it to motivate you, just like with the photo of this uh, the boy, the painting. Um, you used it to motivate you to get into art. And now look at you. You know, now mm. you have this incredible museum here in Narvik. And, uh, you know. Well, it's a gallery, not a museum, though. A gallery, yes, yeah. <laughs> museum. I'm wrong in that, yes. But it is. But I, I'm, I'm very happy for you, Benta. And... I don't know you, obviously, I don't know you that well, but you seem to be the kind of person that you have your, I suppose in one way to put it, you have your shit together. You seem like you, you, you're very, you're very calm, kind person. You seem to know yourself now, obviously, you know, we all have ups and downs, but when I look at you and obviously your husband and your family in general, you seem to be very grounded and happy. Thank you. <laughs> and I like that, that because as a teacher, I can, you know, I, I work with many students that I really feel sorry for. I, I worry about their home lives. Mm. And I can see how some parents, even with the little things, like when I put on a dance show, they'll stress so much about, oh, my child needs this. And what about that? And what are we going to do? And they really struggle to live in that moment. Mm. But when I'm with you, there's there's calmness, yeah. and and it's very uh, it's very contagious, you know. Like okay. you give that off to other people. So I kind of just wanted to to praise you on that because I, I thank you. I, I think it's commendable, <laughs> and I, I just keep doing what you're doing. And it's it's a good thing to be calm when you f work uh, for an airline. You have to be oh, yeah, I can keep imagine. your uh, keep your calmness because it's stressful for a lot of people to fly 
yeah. people are afraid of flying. Can I ask you about your flying? Do you have any like stories that you want to share about anything crazy or scary or out of the normal that happened to you or that you knew about? Gary is probably when I was evacuating an airplane in London with my kids on board. But it's at that moment I I was traveling on vacation and the fire alarm sets off in the aircraft. While it was on, on the, the air, ground on the runway. So we were taxiing out of the runway and the alarm came off. And it just switched in my head and I was working. Yeah. So I was taking care of all the others. You kind of went in survival mode. Putting um, all the evacuation orders and just uh, putting, taking my kids out and telling everyone else what to do and how to keep calm and just relax. Everything's going to be okay. Wow. And it did. But that's... Uh, wake up call to see we have um, we have to rehearse evacuation every six months okay and then you can see it's in your bones when it happens it's, it's all natural, the practice yeah. comes natural when it happens but mm. it never made me scared uh, afterwards flying it didn't yeah. I've didn't have any problem to go back to work afterwards. Yeah. You know... I, I, w I would have been screaming like a girl. I hear all these things about when you're on planes. So if the plane is going down, you know they tell you to bury your head in between your knees. Yeah. Now, maybe you could tell me, that, is this true? Is this because that's the quickest and painless way to die? No. If the plane was to crash, no. like the, the, the seat in front of it's, you would just like hit you and snap your neck and then it'll be over. So No, it's, <laughs> it's like an impact position. So you have to put your head down so you don't hurt your back. Because if they're going to do an emergency landing, yeah. it's quite hard yeah. sometimes. And then if you get the impact like this, uh, you don't get uh, hurt your back. Okay. See, I would have been that kind of person that thought I knew better than everyone. And everyone's down in this emergency position. I think, I'm not going to snap my neck. I'm going to sit up. <laughs> I'm going to take it. And <laughs> then I'll you're going to have one. the whiplash. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, I'm glad we sorted that one out. Yeah. There's the, one per, uh, um, in uh, the war crash landing outside of Stockholm. And one of the girls, one lady in that crash, she everyone survived. So, but it crash landed in a field and the plane broke in three parts. Oh, wow. And one of the ladies there, she did not do the impact position. She turned and hold her arms around her friend next to her. And she hurted her back because she couldn't have that impact. She, her back didn't. Okay. Well, I'm glad you sorted that out because we're not told about this. You know, when you get on a plane, it, you hear the, like, you know, the, the emergency announcement or the video and, and you've been on a plane many times and you just think, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they don't kind of explain why. And maybe they don't explain why because they don't want to scare you. But I always thought it was the quickest death. <laughs> no. no. Okay. I can assure you it's not. Yeah. I also heard, I, I, I used to do... Um, Northern Light Tours in Chomsa and I took a bunch of air pilots and they were telling me this story about 9-11 um, uh, when that happened, when the planes mm. flew into the Twin Towers. And I was asking them questions about, you know, how did these terrorists get into the cockpit? Because I suppose from my perception, I thought it would have been that they were passengers and they stood up mid-flight you know, had a gun or had a weapon and managed to get their way and took over the air aircraft. That's what I assumed. But they told me that they were the pilots. They were the pilots? They were the pilots. I didn't know that. Because there's no way you can get into that cockpit without them opening the door. You know, it's like bulletproof or something, isn't it? Yeah, no, but at that time, um, they didn't have all that restrictions that's now. Now it's a locked door. 
we have to call them, but on I don't know on that um, airplane, but when we flew just in Europe, yeah, the door was sometimes open. We just could go in there. Really? Okay. But now it's locked, and we have to, they have we have to confirm it through intercom. Yeah. To. Um, um, yeah, because as as their story goes, that they were the pilots, that they had gone through flight school and had a job and were undercover terrorists for oh. so many years, and then when they got given the call to do it, they did it. They did it, and that's uh, apart from I think one crashed in a field, and I think that uh, maybe they thought, no, I don't want to do this. Maybe they had second thoughts. I don't know, mm. but well, it's scary. Know. I mean, it's, it's scary, scary because it you never know. And the German, uh, well, there, there was an air crash over. France or a yeah. German uh, pilot he was was that with the Concorde uh, no I don't think so it, okay. it was physical unstable and crashed it yeah at, uh, just on purpose he wanted to crash the Whoa. plane yeah that so is it's scary. never nothing is safe no, but you no, have nothing. to do it yeah <laughs> I don't want to say this to scare anyone who's listening or flying but it's interesting it's interesting to know I suppose, yeah, I mean, you, and flying is more safe than dri- I mean, driving your car. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's fun, and it's well. At uh, this this year, nobody has been flying that much, but um, yeah, to the environment, it's not that good to be flying all the time. But that's another story. No. <laughs> Did you hear what I was talking about? Especially with my students that when we talk about global warming, they only think of, okay, the ice caps melting and flooding and maybe getting hotter in other countries, but they're they're not the main threats. They are to some people, but the main threats are all the diseases that are frozen in the ice caps and we don't think about. So you see how the world has dealt with corona and how much of a shit storm that's been. And if the ice caps do melt, I mean, the Spanish flu is frozen in the ice caps. And you imagine if that gets released onto the world. There are like prehistoric and Jurassic flus and bacteria that are frozen in these ice caps. That's more scary than well, flying. Exactly. <laughs> but I went on that in episode one. We spoke a bit about that. Uh, but I, I think it's important to know. Like, I didn't think of that. Yeah, yeah that, and, and, you, and you think, okay, how, how have we dealt with this? And yes, it's been hard on, on so many people, financially and, and mentally, not being with their families, especially, you know, older people who don't get to visit their families and they're in a, you know, a strict nursing home where they don't allow visitors. It's been very, very tough. But I always believe, and I've said this many times, if you ignore history, you'll repeat it. And there have been many people in history, like, you know, in World War One and World War Two. Children who lived in cities, like if you lived in London or Birmingham or Manchester, you were taken away from your family. You had to catch a train and you were, you know, transported to the countryside and you'd have a a foster family there. Hmm. So, you know, if the war was five years long, six years long, seven years long, that's, that's how long that you would have to be away from your family. And everyone else, if you lived in the major cities, you would have to go underground. So there'd be periods where there'd be bombs and where they would go basically live in in the tube stations and they would have to be there away from their homes away from their partners they would keep people separate so there'd be you know females at this station and the males at another station um because that's the way they felt that they they could keep themselves safe so then you imagine living like that do you imagine me sending you underground for three months and you no contact with your family you don't know where your children are they're somewhere in the countryside you don't know where your husband is if he's been called up to war or if he's in that other station the only way you can talk to people is by writing letters and that takes a long time to get you know so you're waiting weeks if not months for your reply Hmm. so so many people have gone through hardship and and you you can deal with a lot of tough things if you have your family with you but if you're separated from your family, it's worse. Yes, I agree. Yeah. That's why, I, 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 as I said earlier, when I look at you, it looks like you have your stuff together. You seem very a tight-knit family. And I'm not going to go into huge detail, but my family, I had quite an um, uh, unpleasant, <laughs> we'll say put it mildly, where I kind of, my family broke up. My mum and dad divorced when I was 10. And it was bad. 
and I heard things and saw things I shouldn't have seen and um, that's on them. And even today, there's still a lot of tension between that issue. My mum's side, not so much. I can talk to her about it. But if I was to talk to my dad, he he would just, you know, bolt mm. down the hatches and not really want to hear it. And he's a he's a very he's a very kind and generous man, but he's also incredibly stubborn and bitter. Yes, probably. yeah. I mean, even now, if I was to ask ask him what he thinks about my mum, I think the hate for my mum is a lot greater now. And this was twenty five years ago, you know. Hate more now than it was. And I think, imagine holding on to that hate for that so bitterness. long and that yeah. bitterness. And that's why when we talk it about... It eats you up. It eats you up. And, and I, I just, I really worry for him. I really, really do. And I've... But anyway, this is for, for another time, I suppose. And if you're listening, Dad, <laughs> I do. I worry <laughs> about you. I, I, I need you to let it go. Um, because, it, because it starts affecting my children, you know, the, and, and how... Of course it does. And it's um, it's a lot of children out there who has parents that's being separated and they don't know how to keep their anger yeah. away from the kids. Yeah. And just to say, well, okay, it didn't work out between us and we hurt each other, but the kids haven't had anything to do with yes, it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And these things aren't taught or necessarily learned. They're learned through their family. So that's why I, I said that I'm really happy because it seems you have a very close family. And mm. I love that. And I'm extremely happy for you because no one really teaches us how to be a parent. That's all like instinct and habits, you know. And one of the things that I struggle with is if, if my children do something naughty or bad, my first thought isn't one of my own but it's one of what my dad would have said or what my mum would have said. And I really have to kind of bite my lip and stop myself in reacting that way because I know... Yeah, you carry it that's, with you. Yeah, this whole, like, that's how mm. I was brought up, you know, nature versus nurture in a sense. So I've had to try to learn, um, you know, how to manage my controls and feelings. And this is why I love art and being here because, you know, with me dancing and with you and... and, and you know, your painting and your frameworks, it, it brings this inner peace. It it's, does. You know. And the, your creativity, um, you can, if you're creative, you need to have a way to get it out. Yeah, you do. Yeah. And they should focus on that in the schools, creativity. They do in Barnahagen, like play school and preschools. But then the older you get, it slowly gets kind of drilled out of you. And then it becomes a lot more trivial. And then it just becomes... What are you working for? They put in all this work, stress and effort into promising that things will be okay in the future. And then you take someone my age, you know, in, in their 30s who have done the whole graduation, done, you know, got their degree and they're working in a job where they're not happy. Mm. And they think, what has all this been for? And if they could, if we could just slightly change that in our education, just slightly where we focus more on creativity, focus more on the individuality then you'll have a bunch of people after graduating, they'll feel passionate. They'll, they'll be enthusiastic to like, oh, I really want to start baking and I want to make my own, you know, Some, bakery and bake cakes. So I want to, yeah, paint or I want to, you know. Sometimes be outside your flow zone. Just don't always go with the flow, but try to do something that you don't feel quite comfortable but, yeah, in. Yeah, that's scary. Because you extend your creativity a lot with just going a little bit out of that zone, doing things you're not used to do. I agree completely. And there are many children, especially that I teach, who are afraid to fail, even through a young age. And it's a shame. Mm. And I think it's mainly because of the pressure they have from school that failure is, is deemed as, as a bad thing. When I think failure is the greatest teacher. If I have a, a five-year-old... And I could give them the hardest dance in the world and they will fail at it happily and they will yeah. enjoy doing it. But then when a child starts to become, yeah, 10, 11, 12 and so forth, they become more self-aware and they start to develop this insecurity and, well, I'm not going to look like this person. I'm never going to be able to be as good as that person. And that stops them even trying. Mm. And we can't afford to have that in our and society. And other people telling them they're not good enough. Exactly, exactly. 
yeah, so it's a shame. So I'm really, um, I'm really happy. To see. And this is weird because this whole like inner peace and have you heard of the um, the the three question game? No. Okay. So there's this lady. Oh, I've forgotten her name. Um, what's her name? Teal something. Give me a moment. She's a um, she's an author and a spiritualist, and she is uh, yeah. Teal Swan is her name. She's on yeah uh, different social media sites. You can look her up. Teal Swan. So she's a lady who came up. From what I know, she came up with this three question game. So I'm going to try it on you, okay? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you three questions. Now, for the first two questions, I want you to tell me your answers, yeah? Tell, tell the people at home. But for the third question, keep your answers to yourself. Okay. okay? All right. So the first question is, um, what is your favorite color? And you need to give me three deep reasons why. So don't just say, if I say, what's your favorite color? And you say, oh, blue. Why? Because it's pretty. You know, like three meaningful, like how does it, why is that your favorite color? Yeah, how does it affect you? Deep deep reasons why. Does it bring peacefulness? Is it, is it, does it make you happy? Does it make, you know, anything? So yeah, what is your favorite colors? Question number one. Hmm. I have two actually, but blue is probably the, my most, the one I like the most. Okay, and why? Um, I like the ocean and the blue ocean, the blue skies. It why? Makes tranquility. Tranquility, it's just yeah. yeah. Okay, so good, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's one. Any other reasons why you like blue? It's a happy color for me. I don't know. Okay, so yeah, we'll say yeah, tranquil and happy. Okay, question number two. What is your favorite animal? And three, or two, three reasons why, like personal reasons. Hmm, my favorite animal. Well, I own a dog, but I wasn't supposed to have a dog, so I don't know. Uh, And horses, I'm afraid of horses. Well, I own a dog, so I like dogs. A dog, okay. And yeah, why? Why do you like dogs? Well, I didn't know that before I own a dog, but it's so best friend. It's so my best friend. It's, he's just um, always happy to see me, always happy to be around us. And it's calming. He's just, well, the best friend you can have. Okay. And I didn't, I didn't want a dog. Actually, <laughs> so it's been the best. Okay, so the dog, because you're a best friend, very calming to be around, makes you happy, wants to be with you. Mm. Yeah, great. And then the third question, and you answer it, but you keep, yeah, your answers to yourself. So the third question is, what is your favorite body of water? And what I mean by body of water is it can be um, like a stream or the sea or um, a pond or ice or, you know, something that is a body of water. Okay, that's simple. Yeah, okay, so you have that. And you can think of reasons why, like deep reasons. Don't have to tell me, don't tell the audience. And you can do this at home with the questions. Yeah, you have that? You don't don't have to say anything, just keep it in you. Okay, there's a reason why I don't want you to say that in a minute. So the first question I asked was, uh, what is your favorite color? Favorite color, blue, because it's very uh, tranquil and mm. it it makes you happy. So this is a whole point of like going into your subconscious. So I'm asking you a question and you're telling me an answer to what you think I'm asking. But I'm not really asking you what your favorite color is. My question is, who are you as a person? Okay. So you said you're very twank, uh, twank, you're very <laughs> tranquil, struggle with that word, tranquil, and you're very happy. And from the moment we started this podcast, I was saying that you have this glow, this energy, this calmness, this happiness about you. Mm. And this is a very good way that if you're, if you're unsure on someone or if you meet someone for the first time, 
Awesome. They're never going to be honest with you. If you say, oh, what kind of person you are, anyone can seem like Prince Charming or Princess from a Disney film, and they will lie to you. Maybe mm. not, you know, trying to be mean, or but they will obviously give you the answer they think you want to hear. But if you ask them another question and you know what the answers mean, but they don't, yeah. they will give you an honest answer. So that, So that's the first question. Second question, I asked you, what is your favorite animal? And you said a dog because it's your best friend and it makes you happy and it loves being with you and it's very calm. So the question I really was asking is, who is your perfect partner? Okay. <laughs> and I think you hit that nail on the head with, yeah, with you and your husband. Hmm. Because I see that. I see that completely. He is, you do everything together. You, he loves being around you and he, he's yeah. happy in his calmness. I asked, I asked my partner this question. I said, oh, what is your favorite animal? And she said, a bear. And I said, oh, what, why a bear? And she goes, oh, because, you know, it's big and hairy. <laughs> and all of this. So I was like, okay. Oh. <laughs> and for those who don't know, I'm I'm not hairy at all. I, I think <laughs> Harry Potter's got more hair than I do. <laughs> but it was just really nice to hear. It was funny to hear those questions because she was telling me the truth, but not to the question she thought she was. <laughs> so I think those two have, have been nailed on the head. So when you ask someone what is their favorite color, you're really asking them what are they like as a person. When you ask someone what is their favorite animal, you're asking them what is their favorite partner. Um, you know, and that will be able to give you a good insight in whether you're compatible and that okay. kind of thing. Because uh, I think one, I heard one answer where someone said their favorite animal was a butterfly. And this girl asked, okay, why is, why is it a butterfly? And he said, oh, because they're there when you want them to be and they're pretty to look at, but you can also get away from them and they don't bother you and this kind of thing. Okay. So you can imagine yeah. then if you're sitting across the room thinking maybe this isn't, he wants a trophy wife. That's all he wants. Yeah. You know, he doesn't want anyone who's going to bother Stay him there. or ignore, yeah, bother him. Yeah. So the third question um, I ask, what is your favorite body of water? Now, obviously, I didn't want you to say the answer. And I just wanted you to tell yourself and for those at home. But when I ask you, what is your favorite body of water? I'm not asking you that question. I'm asking you about what is your kind of sexuality? Okay. <laughs> so if someone says that they're... You know, oh, they, they like are oh, um, like waves and 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 you know this really high energy, wild kind of rough sort of thing. Then maybe that gives you a little insight. And it's not guaranteed, but it gives you a little insight that maybe sexually they're that way driven. If someone says that their favorite body water is like a pond, still and doesn't really do anything, <laughs> boring. <laughs> then, then it kind of maybe give you an insight onto that. So ice. I, did, I, <laughs> I didn't want ice. <laughs> So I, I thought I was saving you a little bit there before you put your answers and told everyone and <laughs> everyone about that. But it's a nice way of uh, like what we talk about the, the subconscious, like you asking these questions without really knowing uh, what you're answering. And the same thing that when you're when you're doing your work, you're finding this peace and this harmony from doing these tasks that mm. is good for you. It is. Yeah. So you should try that next time. The, the three questions. Favorite color, favorite I'll dog, ask. favorite body of water. You should yeah. ask your husband. I will. <laughs> and see if he says the same thing. And if he does, you'll be the happiest woman in the world. Mm. And you think, oh, we made the right choice. And uh, yeah. and if he doesn't, and if he says his favorite is a bear, because <laughs> he well. likes the hairy or something, I don't know. But, I, have uh, <laughs> I have to check. <laughs> yeah, you have to check. But yeah, but that's um, that. Oh. Do, you, do you have any questions for me? I mean, not like that, but do you just generally, is there anything that you... No, we're just happy you're here in Ludwig. Oh yeah, thank you. We're so satisfied you stayed. Yeah, being a teacher here. Yeah, I, yeah, I enjoy it. I, I enjoy. I definitely enjoy teaching. I, I care a lot about education, and and, and I, that you tried free to fail. That you tried to come here, and yeah, we were so happy when you bought a house. Yeah. We knew okay. <laughs> He's, he, he's not just renting, yeah. he's buying. Yeah. Yeah, that's been quite stressful with the house and all that lot. But yeah, that's for another time. But yeah, I am glad. I'm, I'm happy here. My children seem happy here. I do miss Tromsø. Uh, mm. I have 
friends and Ina's family are there. And I've always felt that Chomsa is home. When I first visited Chomsa, I, I came on for certain Demai in 2010, just for a holiday. And instantly I, I felt that it was home. It's a very strange but comforting feeling to, to know in a place that you've never been before that you want so to live there. it's so far from yeah. what you're used to. But I love I loved the whole idea. It's this beautiful island with surrounded by sea, surrounded by mountains. Even though I'm, I'm not one of these... I love nature, but you're not going to see me going up hikes every weekend. You know, I no. think that, that takes too much <laughs> energy for me. <laughs> but I, I just, yeah, I, I find it very calm. And considering of my past living in London in these busy cities and, uh, you know, but working as a dancer. But everything goes in waves. It's mm. sort of, when you're at, at one age, it's fun to be in big cities. And when you grow oh, older yeah. and get kids, you want to be in areas which is not that busy. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you want to live in the city, do it while you're young and yeah. you have energy. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. But yeah, but I'm happy to be here and I, and I, I and I'm glad that you're all very welcoming and kind. I mean, I, that's not um, people don't. Well, people come here for educational or come here for work. Doesn't always say they don't find Nadvik a very welcoming city. Mm. I often hear that Nadvik is well. The people in Nadvik is very difficult to be friends with yeah i i can see that i think probably one of the reasons well, i think some of the reasons why i don't experience that is because i work within the arts mm. and i think those here in you know this industry city that's basically built on <laughs> industrial industry. revolution and industry yeah. and trains those who work within the arts tend to be uh quite open-minded and uh creative people and yeah um, open to new ideas and suggestions so that's probably why if I came here as yeah as a builder or something and I was within a different environment then I could probably experience that what you're thinking of I think the other reason why is um, you know I'm, I'm white I'm, I'm a white guy from from England and I do think that has something to say mm. this whole like white privilege I, I can I've been to so many places in the world and they've all been great but I've also had very, very close friends who've been to those same places and they haven't been just because of the color of their skin. Okay. And I'm not saying Narvik is, no. is racist or anything, yeah. but I'm saying no. that I, I kind of fit this. When someone looks at me, they don't think of an immigrant. No. But but I That's, am. You know, yeah. I'm from England and, and it's, you know, everyone. My stepdad was uh, from England. He was from Brighton. Yeah. And he experienced when he came here, um, he started working here when he moved here to be with my mom and some people uh, just made fun of him because he didn't speak Norwegian as well as yeah. he should but otherwise he well he, he didn't find it comforting being around those at work or people here at all times because of his language yeah i can relate to that yeah and that's why i'm very lucky that i'm able to to speak english to you and to speak english to especially the older students because i can be myself mm. and if i was to speak another language i would lose my identity and who i am and that's not saying i can't communicate in another language i can it's just it's not me mm. it's it's, and for the students, it's a good practice yeah, for them. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, it, it's nice. Um, and the younger ones as well. They yeah, they want me to speak more English. <laughs> though I think sometimes I basically talk Norwegian um, to all of my students who are thirteen years and younger. When they get to about fourteen, fifteen, they keep asking me to speak English because they want to hear it. And yeah, it's good practice for them. It is. Uh, so it's. Um, is this balance? It's strange because when, when, like my children, when I see them, I'm so lucky that they're bilingual from such a young age because they seem like the same person when they speak Norwegian and when they speak English. Yeah, they are. But when until like, they're like, seven, they can 
yeah. I think it's seven or ten they can speak. They have, they have, it's easier for them to learn two and three languages at the same time. Yeah. And switch without any difficulties. Yeah. So it's, it's nice that they, they're complete, they're, they're bilingual from a very young age, because I know that when I talk to older uh, people um, and they're speaking in English, I'm not really getting the full them, if you know, like they're full no. they're themselves. Yeah. Uh, so there, there is that. But yeah, I, I do enjoy Narvik. I think Narvik is... I think Narvik is in a bit of a struggle, struggle at the moment where... I don't think it really knows what it wants to be. What, what is Narvik's future plan? And what I mean by that is, are they happy being a small city and they want to keep the traditions of old? And that's fine. If they want to do that, then great. But then on the other hand, they also want to try to get more young people in and young families and, you know, yeah. kind of solidify themselves as a, as a a touristy place for the future where people can come have a good time but then if that's the case then they need to change and they need to set up things for younger people because yeah. I feel sad if I was 16 living in Narvik I would probably die of boredom yeah now I this mean, was like pre-internet so when I was 16 you know they were I mean, yeah I think I had an internet at 16 yeah I did 14 I think I got internet but it wasn't like it was now so it's nice that the, these children, that they do have this outreach in the world. They do get to see and be influenced by things that go on anywhere. But it, I do feel sorry for them, that there's mm. not enough for them. And it's if Narvik not. want to have younger families here, younger people in order to set up new businesses, tourism, mm. they need to decide what they want to be, whether they want to be a city for, for the youth and for the future, or if they want to keep with their traditions. Because I think at the moment they're trying to kind of please both sides. Mm. And there's a saying, it's one of my favorite sayings, which is a camel is a horse designed by committee. And what that means is if you have this idea for a horse, you want to design this horse, you're God. Yeah? And you let everyone else have their say in how this horse should look, then it won't end up looking like how you want it to look. It will probably end up looking like a camel yeah. rather than a horse. So, yeah, that's what I mean by committee. If you share things, which is, is run, and, and there are many pros to that. I'm not saying that we should change the whole political system, but when you have this changeover every four years, we have all these people having their say, hmm. the vision becomes blurred and you end up getting this kind of mishmash of just... It's a lot of visions, but it's not always exactly. acting. In regards to like what you do, you had this vision, you had this idea that you wanted to open up you know, your own gallery. And you had this vision of it, and you stuck by that vision, you auteured it, and it became what you wanted it to become. It was your... And it may not be perfect, of course, everyone has to make adjustments, but at least... If you would have asked everyone else what they thought, they would have said, oh, well, you need this, you need to do that, don't do that. And then it ends up not really becoming what you want. Yeah. And so have, have, we, we, I experienced that a lot. Um, well, not people telling me what to do, but when I started here, I have an idea what kind of gallery I want. And I often have artists asking me, if I can have their pictures here and sell them. Yeah. But I have my vision of how my gallery is going to look, how, yeah. what kind of pictures I feel fits to my idea of the gallery. Yeah. So, And that's what will make you unique, mm. is, is your own vision. Because it's thousands of um, talented artists uh, you can pick them all it's we have people mailing us at least once a month for if we can have an exhibition with them but i can't fit them all in and then yeah. you have to choose the ones that makes my gallery uh, a view of me 
that's something of my soul, of yeah. my, what I think it's supposed to be. Yeah. So, yeah, it's best to have a vision and to auteur that, to stick by it, mm. rather than if you let things turn into a committee that everyone has at their say, it won't end up being how you want it to be. That's why, when I say, sitting here in your gallery now, I, I, I think you've done an incredible job. I really do. And it's the type of gallery that you, you could go in that, that wouldn't be out of place if it was in London or if it was in New York, or if it was in any of these kind of big metropolitan cities around the world. And it's here in Narvik. Mm, it's, it's a small, where you can find small pieces, which is unique. Exactly, yeah. Do you feel that you get a lot of support from the community here in Narvik? Do they... Um, yeah, I do. It's a lot of people, and, and people get more aware of that we have the things for presence as well, not just pictures, but small things and small, just small gifts that are unique and doesn't fit well in a in a row. It's just yeah. not the same, everyone. Mm. So yeah, I think people are very supporting and coming here and shop. Yeah. <laughs> as well yeah yeah but that's that's good it was strange because i thought that when we were going to do this talk about art i, I was kind of concerned that are people going to think that we're some really snobby high educated kind of art critiques you know who are going to start talking about all oh, monet or rembrandt oh, no. <laughs> well i love things. those but yeah <laughs> so it's nice that, yeah because that, yeah, like, art, art is for everyone you just have to find art is thing. for everyone yeah and and we are, uh, as I've said to, it's not just me who feel the stillness and the tranquility just being here. Um, I have customers to co that comes in here, and I had one. She just sat in the chair and just watched the art. Yeah. And I'm a gallery. You don't have to buy something to come in here. You can come in here and just enjoy art. Yeah. And that's the big difference from stores that just push products out constantly. Yeah. We have um, different, yeah. it's, it's unique. You don't see that item again. And it's made to last. Mm. And when we were talking about kind of earlier about climate change, it's easy for people to say that, oh, but what could I have done? And yes, I think big businesses and shops should take more responsibility about where they get their material from and, and how they transport it and all this lot. But if you want to do one thing to help uh, climate change, it may seem very little, but support local businesses. Yeah. That's vital. And people think, why? Why is that vital? Well, yes, you can go and get a shirt in, say, H&M or some other kind of big chain for, yeah, a pound or a hundred krona or something, very little. You can go buy all of this mm. stuff, but then you need to think at what cost is that? Who, where was the factory? Where is, you know, where has it been shipped from? Think of all of this stuff. If you buy something locally that was either handmade or the locally distributed, whether it be a, a grocer's, a, a local delicacy, your gallery, I think it's very, very important that we try to support in the community. Think global, but act local. Yeah. You know, don't try to That's solve all saying. the world. Yeah, don't try to solve all the world's problems because you're not. But if you act locally, if you just, and locally may just be you and your family. It may just be yourself. And if you don't support local, well, the local stores, that be the stores in the, in the mall as well, uh, who's going to give you your daughter or your son a job during the summertime well, exactly if you yeah. buy everything online yeah there won't be any stores to so i suppose that leads we'll say for the last topic where do you see like the future in regards to what you do and art how do you think it will change like do you see that yeah i mean you mentioned online is that going to have a huge impact on art i don't think so I think, well, uh, you, uh, 
Well, into your business. All the artists sell their artwork at, online as well. But art is so much about feelings. Yeah. Experiencing yeah. yourself. Yeah. So most of our customers want to see them live to feel them before they buy them. Because yeah. it's it's something you think about before you buy it. It's not like a shirt that you just go and buy and then you put it to the Salvation Army after a month or so. But this is things that stuck in your heart. It's it's something you want to see mm-hmm. before you buy it. And that's what I say also in uh, during this this corona times you shouldn't every store says you shouldn't touch a lot of things before you buy it but these items which is they are it's art you have it you have to feel it yeah you have to touch it to yeah. see if that's something you want to buy because yeah, i yeah they are alive yeah, exactly they're alive it's, it's tangible yeah something mm. that you need to do and when we talk about the future and things being online, I suppose my worry is, is art going to go to a point where everything becomes digital? And what I mean by that, not that you you buy a painting online and you get it shipped to your house. I mean that you own some digital print, like some code. Mm. So it's nothing like a hologram. Yeah. You know, that you have, like you'd have a picture frame, but instead of a picture frame, it's a hologram that that's what you bought and you can't touch it you can't it's just yeah it's you just own online. the digital licensing to that that's scary that is i think scary. it's scary yeah and and people have to pay you if they want to share it on instagram mm. or facebook and it's that that worries me i hope it won't be anything um, when i am here at last but that's not going to be common when I'm alive. I think that's more for future, future way future, future. Way future. Okay, yeah. But it's good. It's good that you're doing this. I always tell, and you know, tell people out there, whoever's listening, that we should always. The reason why I'm so big on creativity is because we need creative people for the future. There are going to be. People who are studying many things now where their jobs are going to be obsolete in 20, 40, 60 years, however long. And I've used the example of a truck driver. They're all going to be robotic. So, you, you know, mm. transport in general isn't going to need to be man managed. It's just going to, you just need to get it serviced and it's going to go 24-7, even to the point of um, surgeons in hospitals. I think mm. they'll be a thing of the past. Because a human can make a mistake and a surgeon can only work so long and do so many operations. But if there was a, a type of like a chamber, like a you know a tube that you just went in and there's a robotic arm and it could, with precision and speed, it could operate on you safely, cleanly. You got out, put in another person, it could just churn out all of these just operations. Just being efficient. And why I teach and why I believe in dance is dance has this umbrella effect and it helps us, helps with creativity it helps us understand who we are and it doesn't necessarily it affects so many other things and i will go into detail about this but it affects so many other things that you can improve on and i think that schools need to teach more things like this more like dance more art because then if you're a creative person or you've been educated in this way if you do become a truck driver or a surgeon and then your job is made by is is made redundant by technology You'll then have the creativity to think, okay, how can I uh, adapt? How can I do something else? And if you can imagine if if all these jobs got taken away tomorrow, even the highly educated surgeons, do you think they're adaptive enough to to pick a new career? Because they only know one thing, just like truck drivers. Mm. You'd have this upkeep in depression. They don't feel they can contribute to society anymore. And it's going to be basically, oh, well, therefore, you need to do this. Mm. And it's not... Through education, we need to raise people who are able to adapt to survive. Just like in nature, you know, who's able to work in an art gallery and realize, okay, this is art is now obsolete. Now it's going to all digital, so you need to adjust. Not that I want that to happen. But this is why I wanted to talk to you, because you 
you have been able to follow your vision. You have adapted and adjusted and, and, and now you're here. Mm. And I'm very, very happy for you. I really am. So especially here in, in, in an industry town like Narvik, you have this great gallery full of art and it means a lot to me that you're doing it. Not that I'm your best or biggest customer, <laughs> I'm trying to say, but it just in general, just the idea. But it's just like I said, it's it's not, you don't have to be a big customer. It's just being able to, to experience art. Art is a lie that helps you see the truth. Yeah. yeah. And the town would be more, uh, it would be a different town if we didn't have the opportunity to go out and see art. Yeah. And art it doesn't just have to be, a, say, a painting on the wall. It can be architecture. It can be buildings. It, it can. And it's a shame that everything now is just focused on the bottom dollar. You know, how cheap can we get it for mm. box standard? There's this book that I read to my daughter. It's called Shampoo the Chimpanzee. And it's basically that he visits this town called Lickaby, and it's a dark gray town with nothing in it. All the houses look the same. Everyone's bored, depressed, going to jobs, all these other chimpanzees. And he's traveled. He's been around the world. So when he comes to Lickaby, he thinks, right, well, this town needs a bit of color, needs a bit of life. So he plants this magical seed and this tree blossoms from it and mm. grows and it... It bears different fruits and different colors and flowers and all sorts. And then all of these chimpanzees who were born and raised in Lickaby and knew nothing else but gray started to experience all of these beautiful colors and it made them feel many different things. So then they started to paint their houses different colors and etc. And the mayor of Lickaby, the chimpanzee, he was very grumpy and he didn't want things to change. You know, he wanted to keep things the way that they were. People are afraid of change. People are. People are afraid of what they don't know. Yeah. And I think that's why, say, just sitting here now, looking at all your pictures, every painting, that's why I don't think art should be censored because it's, it tells you a different story. If you, hate, if you look at a picture and it scares you, it frightens you, you don't like it, try to understand why hmm. and listen to yourself, look into yourself. Do, do you not like it because it reminds you of someone? Do you not like it because it reminds you of a place or a time or your insecurities? You know, you look within yourself and then you're able to try to find, okay, maybe I need to try to heal myself or work on it, you know, mm. rather than just, and that's what I worry that, you know, with Narvik and we say it's, it is, uh, there are many plans for the future. I would like to see more art, whether it be buildings. Yeah galleries even with schools more focus on things like that because it helps people deal with their emotions when you yeah when you have a child and they're drawing pictures they're drawing grass and flowers and trees in the sky and it makes them happy mm. and they keep drawing up until this point where they reach school a certain age and then they don't really have time for that anymore and they have to push on and then and the school i mean when to afford um yeah I mean, ask, ask Pencils yourself yeah. and stuff so they don't get to be as creative as they should be. I mean, ask yourself this question, even if you're listening. When was the last time that you drew something? You just sat down and drew a picture. Nothing in mind, just, just mm. you know. And I bet for a lot of people listening, they're probably thinking, I haven't drawn in years. I don't know. I, I, I think a lot of people you know. did do some drawing and painting um, last year. Corona time when it started. Oh yeah, that, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, but that's we learned a lot of things during this year. Even so, it was a tragical year. Some of us has learned to be more creative and yeah. try to do things with our families instead. Yeah, since we had to be spend so much time at home. Appreciate kind of use. Use the time to appreciate the things that you have rather than the things that you don't have. Hmm. You know, learn about yourself. And if you're not happy with what you have and you're not happy in your situation, then use that as kind of motivation to think, okay, something needs to change. You are, yourself is the only key to happiness. Yeah, yeah. And you are that. You are happy. You're, you're booming, you radiate, yes, from, from the start. And, and, and I can see that. And I only wish this upon anyone else that they follow their passions 
because mm. then you have less. I had a bit of luck as well that my friend was supposed to quit her job in the gallery. So, well, like everything, you need yeah. a bit of luck on this on this part. Is there anything? So we'll kind of end. I think the end the podcast here. But is there any kind of last advice or anything you would like to say before we finish? No, if you're not happy where you are, uh, just think of what can you do to make yourself happy instead of asking what anyone else can do. Yeah. It's weird. I saw this thing about the difference between support and rescue. And there are some people out there where, and like many of us, where we all need support in times of our lives. And support is good. So support support is, is good. You know, if I'm struggling, I'm working a lot and I'm struggling with either my kids or struggling to pay the bills or, or anything. And someone steps in and says, I can see this is a lot. You have a lot in your plate. I'm happy to support you. And having that support network is very key. But to rescue someone, there are people out there who just expect to be rescued. Mm. So I kind of use it. There's, there's a scenario where you imagine if there's two people who are uh, broke down in their cars and one of them is sitting on the car bonnet just waiting for someone to come and rescue them while the other one is trying to push their car down the street to get it started to get to the next town to try to move on and you're driving past which one would you help i would probably help. And there's no right or wrong answer it's just which one would you help yeah the person who's not doing anything who's waiting to be rescued or the person who just needs a bit of support just I needs a bit of help. think I would go to the person who just needs a bit of support. Yeah. And I think that's very important because there are some people out there who will just think someone will come and rescue them. Whether it's been their childhood growing up watching Disney films and they think Prince Charming is going to swing by and save the day or they're going to win the lottery. But that's you, the same you say to your kids. You have to put in some effort. You have to put in the work, yes. You have, to, you have to learn how to go through struggle. Mm. Struggle is so important. There's this big piece that... Uh, Joe Rogan, he talks about in his podcast, and you can look it up on YouTube, but it's very, it, it, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's very motivating. And he talks about the importance for all of us to go through struggle, especially kids, because when you go through struggle, you learn about yourself. Hmm. And like through dance, we have this very honest self-reflection when we're dancing in front of a mirror about who we are, how we look, and how we handle ourselves in times that things aren't going right. Oh, I can't do this turn today or this jump's not working or I can't remember. Don't give up. Yeah. How do you handle yourself during them stresses? Do you want to blame someone else? Do you need to look at yourself and think, okay, maybe it's because of X, Y, and B. No one knows. It could be many different things. Mm. But how you handle yourself through that struggle. And my biggest concern when I teach is children giving up too much, too easily, too fast, they don't want to go through that struggle and they just want to be rescued. Mm. And I'm not here to rescue you here. I'll support you as much as I can, as long as I see that you're also putting as much effort and energy. Mm. It's like teaching. I will want to support any student I have. If I see that they're trying, I will put in as much, if not more effort to try to help them. But if I see someone sitting there with their arms crossed, just expecting an answer, just expecting to be rescued, expecting me to save them, then I'm sorry, I, 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 we have to work on some other things before we get there. Yeah. You know, because and it's not that much fun if you don't get any struggle on the way, yeah. if you don't have any bumps which you have to climb during your life. You yeah. have to have some of them. And a lot of those bumps could end up being the, the most memorable ones. And yeah. 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 It's like my mom says, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, that's very true. Okay, thank you. Yeah, thank you. This was <laughs> did fun. You, did you like it? Okay, good. Well, then maybe we, we can do a, another one at some other point. But I'm, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I know it takes a lot to, to do a podcast. It can be nerve-wracking. But it just shows who you are as a person that you're able to go through that struggle, that those worries, those concerns, those nerves. Yeah, it's. I've never done the podcast before, so it was um, quite a nerve-wracking at first but what the heck have to jump yeah. to do like i say you have to go outside your flow zone just to do things you've never done before exactly well i think we'll end on that so thank you benta i hope that you 
continue with your success. I hope that you continue being uh, radiant and happy. And also let me know about what your husband says in regards to those three questions. <laughs> I I'm, I'm will. interested. I will. Okay. <laughs> we'll say bye and thank you for listening. <laughs>